Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. There was something for us to focus on, something for us to meditate on and receive, just in the whole idea of the stone that uh, was rolled in front of the grave and sealed the tomb, and then on Easter morning was found rolled away. And so that became sort of the focus of my uh, study and meditation as we began, began preparing for Easter. And I found this really wonderful quote by uh, a guy named Charles Spurgeon that said, let the stone preach. And I love that idea, the perspective of the stone and what it meant um, and the weight of it. And as it rolled away, what that also meant. And so we're going to hang out there around a stone that sealed death and then a stone that revealed life this morning. So I wonder if you'd pray with me. We're going to open the word, and uh, we'll jump in there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that we have life because you conquered death. We thank you for the sacrifice that you paid on our behalf, that you saw us in debt, that you saw us lost, and you paid it, that you came and searched for us and found us. And when you rose from the grave victorious, it wasn't a victory that you just held to yourself, but you gave it away to all of us. This morning, I pray that we would revel in that. I pray that we would uh, love it again, that we would see you, that we would enjoy you, that we would worship you, that we'd respond to you, and that we'd let that fill us again, your love and your life, the celebration that we have because you live today. As we open up your word, I pray that you give us ears to hear from you. And as we focus on the stone, show us what you have for us there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And this, is, this takes place on Sunday morning. So Jesus is arrested. Jesus is beaten. He goes to a mock trial all of that, it ends up in the crucifixion and his death. And on Sunday morning, the women are walking to the tomb. And we're going to read here, and then we're going to uh, take a look at what was going on there. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So I said, as we were preparing, I had this 
weight on me, this pressure like there was something that I had never seen before, or maybe we hadn't seen before in the stone that got rolled in front of the tomb. And I just want to let that preach this morning. Now, Easter started a week ago, right? Last Sunday, uh, we celebrate Palm Sunday, and it's the triumphal entry. And it's this picture of Jesus, the King, riding in on a donkey. And so you get a picture almost immediately of a different kind of king, a humble king, not coming in in a chariot, rolling in with a grand parade, but a humble king on a donkey coming in. And as the crowds cheered, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They were worshiping and they were pleading. We want you to free us from Roman rule. We want you to come and bring a revolution. You are the one that we have been waiting for, and you are going to make our world right again. And he was, but not the way that they expected. And as the week went on, and he continued to fail to meet their expectations, their hope and their joy and their worship, if you can call it that, faded away into rejection. Or they turned from him. And they didn't just get apathetic like, ah, I don't know. They actually got angry. It's like they had so much hope welled up in their expectations. And when Jesus failed to meet them, they, they got angry with him. They wanted nothing to do with him, and they wanted all of that rage and anger taken out on him, and it was. So Jesus was arrested, and people brought false charges against him, and they went through a trial, if you can call it that. And he ended up carrying the cross up a hill after having been beaten within inches of his life. He carried it up the hill, and he was nailed to the cross, and he was displayed as a spectacle. And there's irony in it, right? Because the world thought that they were winning by nailing him to the cross. And as the father looked on, he said, what you think is your victory is actually my victory. What you think is going to end in death is actually goes through death to end in life. This is our king and his coronation as he's presented before the people. The gospel tells us that a man named Joseph provided a tomb for Jesus' body. Jesus was poor. He didn't have earthly belongings. He, could, he didn't have a home, and he didn't have a family that was taking care of him at that point. And so Joseph said, I have money, and I have means, and I would like to take care of the body. And so it says, uh, I think in Matthew 28, that Joseph bought a linen, and it this was used to take the body down off the cross. After Jesus was dead, his body's just hanging there limp, right? And so with some sort of dignity, they would weave a fabric cloth up and around and slowly lower the body. And then Joseph took that and wrapped the body in the linen. And because it was nearing Passover, which was a strict and holy time that began with sunset on that day, they normally would have... Um, embalmed the body and prepared the body with spices before putting it in the tomb. But because Passover was quickly coming, which meant all things needed to stop, they had to hurry up with Jesus' body and put him in the tomb with the expectation that they would come back once Passover had finished and uh, prepare the body with dignity again that, at that time. Mark 15, 46 says, and Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone 
against the entrance of the tomb. So Mark 15, 46 right here says, the stone is rolled in front. And this tomb, I think we have a picture of it. Instead of what can be our tradition of lowering a coffin into the ground and then covering up, their tombs were different. Their, tomb, their tombs were carved out of a rock uh, cliff or wall there. They would hollow it out. And then they, they would actually, if the tomb was big enough, they would carve out um, multiple places where they could lay a body within the tomb. And when that was finished, they would roll the stone in front of it. This is not a stone as in like a stone as a pebble. This was a, this was a shield, right? This was a guard. And they would roll it there to protect it from wild animals so that wild animals couldn't come uh, as scavengers. They would roll it there as a, a protection against people who might come and steal a body for whatever purposes they had there. It was a protection against that. And it was also sealing. It served as a seal to seal out the impurities of death from those who were still alive. A dead body was considered an impure, unclean thing. Once you put it in a tomb, you wanted it sealed off so that death and life were clearly separated. Right? And the stone was rolled in there. And I You can see it a little bit. Some of those tombs, I think, had this uh, angled slant that the stone would roll down. So it could roll into place, and rolling it back up would be a much, much harder task. We don't know exactly what tomb Jesus was put in and if it had all of those kind of things. But the idea was this is not easily reversed. Those who had hoped in Jesus... The stone that gets rolled in front of the grave is like the final nail in the coffin. The final seal that seals out hope. Any chance that Jesus wasn't really dead or that Jesus was going to come back with victory somehow, that was sort of wiped away and vanished as the the stone kind of shakes into place. And if you can imagine hearing the rumble of the stone as it creaks and slams down into place. That was like the final moment where hope faded. And then Sabbath happens. The sun sets and the sun rises on Saturday and it's just stillness. It was a day of rest. And I can imagine the pain. Feeling like oxygen had just got sucked out of the air. If you had had hope in Jesus how it was gone. Almost hard to breathe. Instead of Sabbath feeling like the delight that it was intended for, this day, I would imagine, felt really empty. And it's a reminder for us today. It's a reminder for us today that there are moments in life when God seems silent, and that does not mean that God is absent. Holy Saturday, the Sabbath Saturday while Jesus was in the tomb, does not mean that God was absent, right? He was working. His plan was moving perfectly along. Death hadn't won. It appeared to have won, but it couldn't have been further from the truth because what was about to happen was going to smash all of those expectations. If you feel like God is silent in your life, if you feel like God is distant, it doesn't mean that he's absent. 
it doesn't mean that he's not working. I think the, the hopelessness almost of Holy Saturday can feed a hope in us, knowing that Sunday is coming. And then Sunday happens, and the women are walking to the tomb. Normally, again, the body would have already been prepared, and they're going today to prepare it. And as they get there, I can imagine them asking the question, who will roll away the stone? The Bible references two women who are walking. I don't think two people can move the stone. So they must have been asking the question, who will move the stone? Who will roll it away so that we can serve? Who will roll away the stone? You see, the women had two different obstacles in the stone. One was just the sheer weight, the immensity of it, that it needed to be physically pushed out. But the second was, it was guarded. The Roman guards were there to make sure that the stone stayed in place. It was sealed, and they didn't want anybody messing with Jesus' body. And I bet they, did, they wouldn't give a rip about ceremonial practices, about uh, spices and things that, you were, that brought dignity to a body. They were just happy that this was over. So the stone's immensity and the fact that it was guarded stood as obstacles for the women, and yet they went. And yet they were like, let's see what happens. Now here's the thing. I think we have a huge stone in our life too. In our lives today, we have two huge obstacles that I think relate to the obstacles the women expected to face. One, like the stone in our life, the immensity of the stone in our life can be likened to sin and the death that sin brings. We have this in life, and it rolls down and seals us off from life. So in the same way that the, the stone would separate death and life, it separates us from the life that we were created for, for the life that we were intended for, for the life that God wants for us so badly. And the sin in our life blocks us off from that. And it seals us away and it traps us and it acts like bars on a prison cell. And we're separated from a life that God has. And then it's also guarded. You have an enemy. We have an enemy. And the forces of hell are not going to just sit idly by and let something be moved easily. They are giving all of their might to make sure that that stone in our life stays in place so that we stay separated from God and from one another and from the life that he has. That won't happen easily. Sometimes, sometimes they're holding back with all their force and sometimes like has been said a couple of times recently here at DR, their best efforts show up in the form of speaking complacency to us. That we get comfortable, sealed off from the life that God has for us. And we don't even know. We live life unaware and not caring. And apathy wins, but we're still sealed off. And the question can be asked, just like the women may have asked, who can roll away this stone? Who can move this seal in my life? 
And the world has all kinds of answers that I think fail to really hit the mark. They'll talk about achieving more or becoming self-actualized. Justin talked about a treadmill of always trying to go and go and go and go and perform and get good enough that maybe one day you would live up to and be able to push aside something that was broken. But we know it doesn't work. And the women found the answer that morning. They didn't have to move a stone. They didn't have to push it away. And the guards, when they got there, were like dead men. They were so violently struck by the earthquake and the stone being rolled away by heavenly forces that they were fallen and shaking and quivering on the ground as if they had been struck by lightning. And the women come up and they see the stone already moved. Heaven moved the stone. God himself moved the stone. And that's what it'll take in our lives too. God has to move. We get to be witness to what he's doing in our own life and we need to uh, receive that and walk into that. So if the stone can preach, it says, the stone is there as the door to the grave. It seals death, vic- death's victory. Like Jesus died in our place. The, stole, the stone was rolled in front and hope is gone. No one yet knew that death had already been unhinged. No one yet knew that the stone wasn't actually really powerful, sealing away death and life. Before his final breath, Jesus utters the phrase, it is finished. As if the work that he had done through his life and culminating on the cross defeated the grip of death, defeated the power of death. When the women get to the tomb, they already have their answer. I want to read Matthew 28, 1 through 10 again, looking at the victory and the stone as it rolls. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, the angel's appearance, was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of Jesus' feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The stone is rolled away. Death's seal is broken. Jesus is alive. And just like that, the stone that had been intended to steal our hope has become a stone that serves as our foundation. Jesus is alive. We as Christians build our life on the resurrection of Jesus. 
It's foundational to our faith. In fact, if you were able to disprove it, our faith would crumble. A, a Christianity without the resurrection is powerless. But this isn't mindless faith. Jesus' resurrection is more documented than almost any other event in all of history. There were so many witnesses from so many different walks of life who had nothing to gain and in fact ended up being killed because they testified to seeing Jesus alive again, seeing death broken. This is a foundation stone that lasts. Jesus paid your debt and defeated death. And then his resurrection leads to ours. Again, he doesn't just hoard the resurrected life. He gives it to us. And I think it starts now. I think the resurrection life starts the moment you receive Jesus. You welcome him in and the gift that he gave. When the Holy Spirit fills you, eternity begins. And one day, when this physical body dies, we fully enter into life. And the Bible talks about us living a resurrection life where this breaking, bruised body is no more and we rise victorious in a body that's made to last forever. We're not just little wispy spirits floating around through heaven forever. We have a heavenly body, a forever kind of body, one that doesn't have sprains and breaks and illnesses and any kind of brokenness, but one that lasts, that's coming. Jesus is kind of the first example of what we get to also experience someday. And so I have the question for you. Where are you standing? As it relates to the stone, where are you standing? Because we come from a bunch of different perspectives. Spurgeon said, you see then that the stone became the boundary between the living and the dead, between the seekers and the haters, between the friends and the foes of Christ. You can mock him. You can disregard him. You can stay in a prison that has already been broken open. Or you can give yourself to the one who gave himself for you. You can confess your brokenness and your great need. You can recognize the great love of God in coming for you. You can receive it as the greatest gift ever. You can trust in Jesus alone, not in any other answer that the world has to offer, but in Jesus alone. You can rise and you can leave that old life and the grave behind. Or you can stay where you are. And my prayer is that you would rise. Oh, that you would rise into the life that God has for you. When the women saw Jesus, they fell at his feet and worshiped. And these women are a model for us. We look at the risen Jesus and we fall in worship. We look at Jesus and we respond in worship. And then listen to the angels again. Angels say, he is not here as in the grave, as in death. He is not here. He is risen. The invitation to come and see 
and then go and tell. So the women carried the message, and it spread. Because this is the kind of news that has to be shared. It's not kept secret. It's an overwhelming, overwhelming spring rising up in us that we share with others. And today we have six people in our church family who want to share their encounter with the risen Jesus. Six people who have put their faith in Jesus and want to step out and declare that they have been saved, that they have received him, and that they intend every day to live with him, to follow him, to obey him through their trust. I love this. And so right now we're going to pray. And then, like I said, we'll take a five-minute break. This would be a time, if you're getting baptized and you need to go and get uh, ready for it, you need to change or get dressed, you can go do that and then come right back up here. And if you have a a child or children in the nursery, you can go get them. And the kids in preschool are going to come in. And we'll take a five-minute. If you need to get up and stretch or chat with a neighbor, uh, you can do that. And then we'll reset and we'll celebrate the joy of the stone that was rolled away and how that marks us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love that you saw us in our greatest day of need and didn't turn away. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you would die for us, so much that you would take our debt, that you, were, you would find us when we were completely lost. We thank you for giving yourself for us. And oh, the power that you have, that not even death could contain you. We celebrate you this morning, and we celebrate the life that you offer this morning because you are king and you are alive. We rise because you did. We love you and we pray Jesus in your name. Amen.